Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hello, my friendly people. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a superb podcast for you. We're going to be joined in segment number two by Justin Perry. He does great work over at Shot Quality Bets. He is going to be joining me, and we're going to be taking a look at what we've been noticing in baseball recently with some teams that have turned over a little bit of a new leaf. The St. Louis Cardinals have gotten hot. We've seen the New York Yankees turn around with their offense. So I'm going to just ask Justin what to make out of some of these teams that maybe for a month their offense was cold, maybe for a month they were cold in general, and vice versa. Teams that were hot towards the beginning of part of the season. I'm looking at you, the Pittsburgh Pirates cooling down, what to make out of that. Also, if we should be adjusting our totals a little bit for the warmer weather that is soon to come. And we're going to be taking a look at some games for Wednesday in the final segment. I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters you Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Do you have to do this a little bit early because the Greg Peterson experience, well, we're on the next 11 straight nights, so I've got you guys covered there. 9 to midnight Pacific, midnight to 3 Eastern. Weekends, we move up an hour to 8 to 11 Pacific, and that would make 11 to 2, so pretty much bleeding into two days. Eastern time, so I do have to do this not knowing the West Coast games for Tuesday, but now we do know the West Coast results from Monday, so let's take a look back at those, take a look at everything that we saw on Tuesday as well, try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. By the way, a little bit of cleanup from Monday in terms of the non-West Coast games. When I was doing this podcast, the St. Louis Cardinals were up by kind of 8-1. to They won that game 18-1 to after Gus Varland just got completely destroyed. So that was a DK Nation write-up pick loser that was just an even bigger loser than expected. And the Atlanta Braves, they won 12-0 to against the Texas Rangers as well. So it was just a complete and utter pummeling of our good friends out there in Mr. Cody Bradford, who gave up six runs over the course of five innings, and the Cole Reagans gave up four runs as he went three innings as well. But 
in terms of the West Coast games that we've got to clean up for yesterday. Rockies got it done by kind of 9-8 on Monday against the Red Legs as Hunter Green gave up a bunch of hard contact, giving up six runs over the course of four innings, including a pair of home runs. Going deep for the Colorado Rockies, Mike Busaka's second home run season, and he had a pair of home runs, three and four of the season for Brenton Doyle as Doyle also went deep a little bit later on in the game against Buck Farmer. Gave up a run in an inning. Ben Lively as a bulk guy, not too bad. One run surrendered in two and a third innings. Lucas Sims gave up a run in two-thirds of an inning. And Cincinnati's been able to get a little bit hotter with their bats as well. They get to counter Seabolt. He gave up six runs, four of which were earned in four and a third innings. But from there, Brent Suter, one and two-thirds innings scoreless. Now posting a buck Oh, one ERA. Daniel Bard has barely above a one ERA. He had a scoreless inning. Brad Ann gave up a run in an inning, and so did Pierce Johnson. But enough for Colorado to be able to get the job done. The Kansas City Royals very nearly got no hit by Michael Waka. For Waka, he took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, 4-0. They take care of the Kansas City Royals. Brad Keller, he goes three and two-thirds innings. Only lost three runs, two of which were earned, but he gave up eight walks in fewer than four innings. Maximo Castillo, two and a third inning scoreless from there. Josh Shamout gives up a run in an inning. Josh Shaler, he's able to end a scoreless inning, but for the Padres, they were able to win this game because they just draw so many walks for Waka. He went those seven-plus innings, giving up one hit, was pulled after he gave up that hit, 11 punch-outs, and then Nick Martinez from there finished up two scoreless innings. The Arizona Diamondbacks, they took it to the Oakland A's. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise, 5-2, to two, Merrill Kelly. He gave up two runs, one of which was earned, including a home run as he had Jace Peterson get home run number three of the season and Drew Rosinski. Five runs surrendered in three and two-thirds innings. The real upset in this game is that Adrian Martinez, Richard Lovelady, and Sammy Long combined for five and a third innings scoreless, but still not enough for the Oakland A's as they're 9-34 right now. Just so bad for them and for the San Francisco Giants. They took down the Philadelphia Phillies by kind of 6-3. A little bit of a rough one if you had the over in this spot because the total was 9. You saw 8 runs put up in the second inning and then 1 run after that. As that 1 run was a sacrifice fly by Alec Bohm. And Alec Bohm would actually go deep a little bit earlier on in this game. Fifth home run season. He goes deep off of Alex Wood, who gave up two runs in four and a third inning. Jacob Junis, he gives up a run and an inning, but Scott Alexander, along with one of the two Rodgers and Taylor Rodgers, goodbye for two scoreless innings, and Camilio Duvall, one and a third inning scoreless, Michael Conforto. He went deep for his eighth home run season as Bailey Falter lived up to his name. He faltered after Connor Brogdon as the opener gave up nothing in his two-thirds of an inning. Falter from there. Gives up six runs, none of which were earned, though. He should have been out of the inning. Bryson Stott makes an error, and then from there, things just toilet bowl. Jeff Hoffman, two scoreless innings. Andrew Bellotti, a scoreless inning. So you saw the Philadelphia Phillies lose by a count of 6-3 with all of those runs being unearned. That was absolutely terrific. And then I was on air for this one. The LA Dodgers won by a count of 9-8 in 12 innings against a Minnesota Twins team that had the bases loaded with no outs. Got a run walked in. I believe that that was in the 10th inning and then didn't score from there. So that was a calamity for Pablo Lopez. He gave up three home runs, five runs in total over the course of four and two-thirds innings as Max Muncy took him deep twice. 13th and 14th home runs of the season. That leads the big leagues, and Will Smith got jiggy with it for his seventh home run season. By the way, for the Dodgers, I believe that was just their 23rd regular season one-run win over the last two years, and they've had 134 regular season wins. For Brock Stewart, one and a third inning scoreless. Emilio Pagan gives up a run in that inning, so does Griffin Jacks, but Yohan Dern, he gave up one unearned run in two innings and extra innings, and then Ode Lopez walked in the game-winning run as for the L.A. Dodgers. 
The bullpen really yacked this one up. Yancy Almonte gave up three runs in an inning, including a home run after Nolathor Syndergaard gave a four-inning cert, giving up two runs as for Syndergaard, he gave up a home run to Ari Polanco, fourth home run season. Trevor Larnish hit the home run off of Yancy Almonte for his fifth of the campaign, but he did have Justin Brule lend a squirrel setting. Evan Phillips gives up a run in an inning, but Phil Bickford, he pitched three extra innings. He only gave up one unearned run, so to his credit, not too bad there on Shelby Miller. One and two-thirds innings, he gave up one run as well. And then in terms of Tuesday action, the Miami Marlins were able to get it done against the Washington Nationals by a count of 5-4. to four. A walk-off winner as he saw Ore Soler get a walk-off homer as the Nationals were up by a count of 4-2 to two going to the bottom of the ninth. So brutal if he had the under, brutal if he had the Washington Nationals in some former capacity as Soler gets his 10th homer on the season. For Washington, Josiah Gray, once again, a very good start. Two runs, one of which was earned, given up in seven innings. He's deserved better than what he's gotten. Kyle Finnegan is scoreless saying, and then Hunter Irvey gives up that walk-off homer, gives up three runs in the ninth as Lane Thomas was able to go deep off of Ace Luz Lozardo, fifth home run season for Lozardo. Gives up just that one home run over the course of six innings at Uskar Brazobin. Entered in the day with a sub-two ERA, left with a north of three ERA. Gives up three runs in a third of an inning. Tanner Scott, though, is scoreless setting a month. Andrew Nardi and Stephen Okert is able to get a pair of outs out of the bullpen. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, they have now scored four runs or fewer at 14 straight games. And in 13 of them, they have scored three runs or fewer as they get completely shut out by the Detroit Tigers. This by a count of 4-0 to zero as for the Pittsburgh Pirates, all of a sudden they become a good under team with 55% of their games going under the total. But for Pittsburgh, Luis Ortiz, not long for this game, gives up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of three innings. The bullpen from there was not bad. Dwayne Underwood Jr. along with Yohan Ramirez piecemeal together five scoreless innings between the two of them. Problem was, the Pittsburgh Pirates would have lost this game if they had given up a one run. Michael Lorenzen, six scoreless innings. Will Vest, two scoreless. Jose Cicierno pitches a scoreless inning as well. So that was very brutal for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Baltimore Orioles take it to the LA Angels. 7-3, the final is for the Angels. Chase Silseth got chased in this one after three and a third innings, giving up four runs, including a home run, as it was Ryan O'Hearn getting his first home run in the campaign, and then Andrew Wants gives one up to Ryan Mountcastle, his ninth home run season for Wants. He gives up that one home run over the course of two innings. Jimmy Hergett was able to get a scoreless inning, but Tucker Davidson allows two runs over the course of one and two-thirds innings. Mickey Monick was able to give a leadoff homer to the Angels, his second home run season, and his second leadoff home run since Saturday as Kramer. He still was able to provide a solid performance, giving up three runs of five and two-thirds innings. Brian Baker from there gets it out of the bullpen. CNL Perez was able to supply two scoreless innings, and then Yanir Cano. Don't you know this guy's been good? Another scoreless inning for him. I think that he's now, what, 21 and two-thirds innings scoreless overall this season. Fortunately, the DK Nation write-up streak is now on a two-game losing streak. So we are going to need to bust that on Wednesday as we had the under in the Red Sox versus Seattle Mariners game. There were a pair of errors that did not help out Luis Castillo. And Castillo gave his worst start of the season as I do this in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Red Sox lead by a count of 8-4 to four for Cassio. Gives up 7 runs, 5 of which were earned over the course of 5 innings, including 3 bombs going deep for the Boston Red Sox. Justin Turner down for what? His 4th home run season. Tristan Casas is 6th. And Jaron Duran, his third home run season. From there, the bullpen has been relatively solid. Paul Sewell did allow a run in two-thirds of an inning. But Juan Then, Juan Taylor Saucedo have gotten four outs out of the bullpen scoreless. And then, of course, I troll Taylor Trammell. And then he gets a home run 
off of Nick Pavetta, third home run of the season. So if you want a little bit of a laugh, you can check out my Twitter feed at GNRNScore1 for that as Nick Pavetta lost four runs in five and a third inning. Six straight start in which he's given up at least three runs. From there, Josh Winkowski has supplied one and two-thirds inning scoreless, and Ryan Sheriff has went for a scoreless inning as well. So we shall see how that one shakes out. I think we know how this one is going to go as the Tampa Bay Rays are currently up by a count of 8-3 to three with the Mets trying to mount anything whatsoever. But Yoni Torino's as bulk guy did allow three runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings for the Tampa Bay Rays as for the Mets, Pete Alonso took him deep 14th home run season that ties Max Muncy for the league lead. And then you had a home run number three of the campaign for Brett Batty. But for Justin Verlander, he should have been named Hickory in this game because he got smoked, giving up six runs over the course of five innings, including a pair of bombs as Isak Paredes was able to go deep twice. Fifth and sixth home runs of the season, and then you also got a home run off of the bat of Jose Siri. Siri, how many home runs does he have? That would be number five as that comes off of Dominique Leon. Gives up a run in an inning. Drew Smith gives up a run in an inning, and he didn't get a scoreless inning out of Josh Walker in his MLB debut, and Right now, the Tampa Bay Rays trying to piecemeal that one together. This is a game that, as I am doing this podcast, is in the seventh inning. The Texas Rangers lead by a count of 4-1, to one, as for the Atlanta Braves, Jared Schuster gave up three runs over the course of five innings, including home run going deep for Texas. Adelise Garcia, 11th home run season, and Dane Dunning, another stunning performance. Only four punch-outs, but lost one run over the course of six innings against the Atlanta Braves team that they were able to erupt on Monday, but it's been a little bit cold with regards to the bats for them. So that is something that I'm going to be taking a look at as the Atlanta Braves have been one of the better over teams in all of baseball over the last few campaigns. So they're one to be watching out for them for the Texas Rangers. They did enter into Tuesday 24 overs, 15 unders, and two pushes thus far this season. And the Red Sox, they're now the best over team in baseball. 28 overs, 13 unders, and two pushes for them. So we're going to see what we get out of them now. Not going to be able to do any of the West Coast games from Tuesday because as I am doing this podcast, you're just getting started with the Royals and the Padres game, along with Twins, Dodgers, Phillies versus Giants, and also the A's versus Diamondbacks game. But if the Diamondbacks lose, that would be rather surprising. This is also surprising as as I do this. Right now, we've got a scoreless game after five innings with the Cincinnati Reds and the Colorado Rockies with the Cincinnati Reds throwing out their Brandon Williamson, who had a north of 6 ERA at the minor league level for the Louisville Bats giving up one hit in five innings. I mean, that's just how random baseball could be. And Chase Anderson gave up one hit in five innings, scoreless for the Colorado Rockies as they look to the bullpen. So, I mean, sometimes you can do all the research that you want, but baseball is just going to offer you some oddities, to say the least. What else has been very interesting has been gauging the St. Louis Cardinals, which we're going to have Danny Burke on the podcast tomorrow, by the way, and he does a great job taking a look at all these National League Central teams as he's based out there in Chicago. Does great work here at the network. I'm going to be talking with him a lot about what we're seeing in terms of the Central, but we saw Nolan Arenado go deep for the fifth straight game as I'm doing this. The Cardinals are trailing by kind of 3-2, to two, though, as for Jordan Montgomery, not necessarily the start that he was looking for as he went five and a third innings, giving up three runs, including a pair of homers of his own as had Brian Anderson get his sixth home run season and Joey Weimer his fourth. But for Arenado, eighth homer on the campaign, he has been able to get super hot with the bat. Wade Miley only makes it one and two-thirds innings, by the way, giving up one run. I think that it was an injury situation with Domingo Armand, by the way, for the Yankees, who are currently leading 
as I do this podcast by a count of 5-3. to three. So for the Yankees, they've now scored 5-plus runs in 8 out of their last 9 games. They had Domingo Armand get tossed after 3 innings. Apparently he was using foreign substances. And from there, they've been trying to piecemeal things together. Been a rough run of things recently for Ron Bedanaccio because he's given up all 3 of the runs thus far for the New York Yankees. But Aaron Judge goes deep again. 11th home run season that comes off of Eric Swanson. No word yet on if he was looking at a dugout or anything like that, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, Kevin Gosman gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of seven innings as he allowed a home run of his own as getting home run number one of the season off of him, Isaiah Kainier-Falefa, and the home run came off of Swanson, who gave up two runs in two-thirds of an inning, so we shall be gauging that result as well. And with the Chicago teams, it's right now a little bit of a roll of the dice with them. The White Sox, looks like they should be able to take care of business against the Cleveland Guardians as I record this. They're currently up by a count of 6-1 as Shane Bieber. He got chased after four and two-thirds innings, allowed 12 hits, six runs, five of which were earned, including a pair of homers. Jake Berger, ninth homer on season. Gavin Cheats is fifth. Lance Lynn has delivered six innings of one-run baseball. So we shall see if that's going to be withholding. And for the Houston Astros, they're currently up by a count of 5-1 to one on the Cubs as they reach the seventh inning as for the Cubs. Justin Steele has completed six innings, but has given up five runs along the way. Has been a little bit of a victim of bad luck as the Houston Astros have stranded two men on base and have won three of seven with men in scoring position. But Christian Javier, very good start. A lot of soul home run over the course of six innings. For the Cubs, they had the first home run of the young career of Matt Mervis, who I know that he's going to be very good for them moving forward. And what has been good is just gauging these totals in Major League Baseball thus far this season as the unders are back in the lead, 300 unders to 297 overs. But it does feel like we're starting to get a few more overs. Over the last seven days, it's just 40 overs to 48 unders. But we had a big binge of unders about, I would say, five to six days ago. So feels like there's a little bit of reversal. And this does exclude some of the results from Tuesday. And we've been seeing favorites being able to rebound recently as well. 53 and 38 on the money line over the last seven days with 41 of them being able to cover the run line. And if you're taking a look at the entirety of the baseball season, favorites, they are hitting right around that 58.5, 58.6% rate, 362 and 256 straight up. But if you're looking at the run line, we have now seen 91 different favorites be unable to cover the run line. So that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we all got on Tuesday. Coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at some of Wednesday's games. We're going to be taking a look at ways to gauge teams that have been a little bit topsy-turvy and taking a look at gauging totals as well with our good friend Justin Perry of Shock Quality Bets. He joins me on the flip side right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. 
the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beast of Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to be joined by this man. It's Justin Perry. He does great work over at Jock Quality Bets, taking a look at the great game of basketball. But on top of that, he is an ace when it comes to taking a look at all things out there on the diamond. He has joined me the last few seasons on this show, doing an amazing job, taking a look at the great game of baseball. And he's a man that you're about at Justin Perry and the number eight on the back half of that. My name is spelled P-E-R-R-I, and Justin, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Greg, it is always such a fun time to join the show and talk a little baseball right in the thick of it, right? Around 50, 45 days or so of ball have been played, so kind of really getting a sense of these teams and the market's figuring them out, too. So I feel like it's been an interesting week or two trying to find some value. It has been an interesting week or two, and I want to get your thoughts on teams that we've seen a little bit of a reversal from, and by that I mean... Teams like the St. Louis Cardinals, who started out completely abysmal, and then they entered into Tuesday, winners of six out of their last seven. The New York Yankees, for the first month of the season, they were the best under team in all of baseball, and then they were able to rattle off six-plus runs in seven out of eight games. What do you make out of teams like the Cardinals and Yankees, where we do see them really turn over a little bit of a new leaf after about a month or so through the season. Watching Jack Flaherty get a season high in strikeouts and not really walk too many guys was really all I needed to know about, you know, how far it feels like the Dodgers that the Cardinals have turned it around. Honestly, I was really impressed with last night. I've been really impressed with a lot of what we've seen uh, from this team after a pretty abysmal start. You feel like they're really kind of getting the urgency of kind of like what happened and whether it was just bad play or maybe a little bit of bad luck or some bad pitching, honestly, for a while there. You definitely feel like the Cardinals are going to be trying to make up some ground in the Central. I'm kind of excited by it. I think, you know, baseball's better when these teams that we're talking about here that are kind of resurging are are actually in it and feeling like at least contenders on a night-to-night basis. I mean, we were fading the Cardinals pen and starters for a good like three or four weeks there but it definitely feels like they're kind of uh figuring it out a bit more yeah they certainly have been able to and of course they faded them on monday and that did not turn out so bad as the birds were 17 runs away from being able to get that game all tied up so those are the ones that you just sit there and you're like okay at the very least it only counted as one loss but i do think that we've got a very interesting landscape in baseball right now and have you been playing some of these totals as well? Because I do think that there is going to be an uptick in runs as the weather is getting warmer and warmer because now we're at the middle part of May. Certainly, we are no longer in danger of any snows because 
in most years. We really didn't get that this year, but in most years, we're going to find like one or two random snows in like Detroit, Minnesota, what have you. But do you have to gauge your totals a little bit differently now that it is starting to warm up? Definitely. I really do pay a lot of attention to weather conditions when I play totals or even when I play aside. I'm usually looking into how teams have fared in similar climates or how they do when they go into, you know, various climate shifts between, you know, various playing locations. It can really shift how much break you sort of anticipate on a pitch based on what arm slot you see things coming out of. And, you know, you might get more break where the air is denser and you're going to get less break where the air is lighter. So there can be a lot of interesting stuff. And obviously baseball is a game of fraction of inches. So it does sometimes seem trivial, but it also does matter. So definitely looking into how this warm weather is impacting things. I mean, markets are pretty tight to weather, I think, but something that you can still find is generally like pitchers that might be struggling a little bit more. I think we've seen a pretty notable uptick in pitcher injuries, which has led to some younger guys, maybe some underdeveloped talent getting the call. And that might continue to be the case this season. So I'm sure Baseball isn't really going to mind. We're going to see more and more runs. We kind of felt it at the beginning of the season. People were talking about which baseball we were actually getting in these games. But I wouldn't be shocked if we were hearing those rumblings again come mid-June. Oh, I am so glad that you brought up something just a second ago. It's Justin Perry. He does great work over at Shock Quality Bets. Is joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. Because we saw Brandon Williamson on Tuesday make his debut for the Cincinnati Reds. Now... As we are recording this, we don't know how our good friend Mr. Williamson did, but what do you make out of some of these unknown starters that, I mean, when it comes to the case of Mr. Williamson, it's not like he was some top 25 prospect or anything like that. The gentleman at Perez who went for the Miami Marlins a few days ago, that was someone that was like a legitimate top 20 prospect. I faded him and was very fortunate to be able to get there when it was all said and done on that one, but... At the very least, that was someone that had a little bit of hype around him. What do you make out of some of these minor leaguers that are making their debut? Because typically it's a spot where I absolutely love to fade these guys coming in on their first start because most of these guys, they're not pitching on very good teams to start with. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes, right? Because the ones that are making these calls don't have the starter depth to sort of shoulder any type of injuries. And we see that a lot. I mean, look. Williamson's case is pretty unique. Uh, people on Twitter kind of joking around that it's like, hey, welcome to the bigs and welcome to Mile High and go pitch against the Rockies tonight. But uh, yeah, we definitely want to be looking out for these types of spots. And not only that, but I think really maybe less played on angle, if you will, is is the ripple effect it can have on a bullpen, especially if the pitcher doesn't do well. I think that's usually a good way to go about it. There is definitely... And just to be had, if you monitor bullpen use and understand which guys, you know, definitely are or are not going to be up to pitch one night, I think you can, you know, find relievers that you know are are not really doing that great. Because, like, we're talking about starters with Williamson, but there's also going to be middle relievers are going to move up to be starters and they're going to need to call up relief pitchers. So you can find relief pitchers who aren't qualified just as well as you can find starters. So I think there's a lot of unique opportunities in maybe kind of keying in on certain guys that you know just, like, more often than not will return that value because, you know, they might have, like, a career 1.4 whip and they're being called up to the big leagues. So it's definitely going to be an interesting summer, given that we are seeing a little bit more turnover in the minor leaguers coming up. 
Absolutely. And I do think that it's going to be worth watching moving forward because I know that there are a lot of teams that they are stingy with regards to the uh, playing time, with regards to just the service time, not signing these guys, going all cheap as well. So always something to be mindful of is just very does great work over at Chalk Quality Bets is joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And I know that you are a Yankees fan, so I've got to bring up this game. We talked about them a little bit with their offensive uptick, and now they have to face off against Chris Bassett and the Toronto Blue Jays with Garrett Cole on the mound on the road. The Yankees are about a minus 115 or so favorite. Total is 8.5. What do you make out of this spot? Because Chris Bassett looked very good in his last start against the Atlanta Braves. I feel like he's pitched above his skis a little bit. For Cole, we've seen a bit of regression from him after his first five or six starts of the year. It was some of the best five to six starts that we've seen all season long in all of baseball. But I feel like we're, with Aaron Judge back in fold, this is a very good cheap price on the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Judge just changes the entire complexity of this team, or complexion, I think is the word I was trying to use. But yeah, again, like you can't really talk about the lineup protection, the best player in you know, the AL East kind of brings to the lineup. It opens up Rizzo. It trickles down to DJ LeMayhew. And, you know, now Volpe doesn't have to, like, shoulder as much of a load and can kind of play a little bit more relaxed. And you sort of see it with him towards the bottom of the lineup. It's not the same pressure. It's been going great, and I hope that they continue to play well. You know, they aren't in the most optimal position. But, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Chris Bassett. I think, you know, something that sort of stands out for me in that recent performance against the Braves where he was spectacular was that his walks were low and he has had some really great starts and they all correlate with his walks. When he is off, his walks are, are usually pretty high. The only game where that really wasn't the case when it's his first game of the season, which maybe we can chalk to like some, some jitters where he's kind of like let the Cardinals tee off on him for four home runs. But other than that, it's really been the control. So it's definitely something to look for if you're watching that matchup and like want to see how the pitcher's doing, which I think is a very viable strategy. You can usually tell if a pitcher's going to have it by the time they get like their fourth or fifth out, in my opinion. First inning, you can definitely start rough, but you can usually see like second inning if they settle in or not. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting spot for Bassett coming off of a full game. It's usually tough to replicate those types of performances. This is definitely a Yankees team that's feeling a little bit better. We know that the Pirates, who Bassett faced in early May, have kind of, you know, regressed a little bit, to be kind. So, you know, I think there is definitely a little bit of a regression due for Bassett himself. You know, his whip is down to 1.08 after sort of being around this 1.25 level. I would feel a lot more comfortable with, you know, expecting his whip to be around that level, getting more than one base runner on average per inning. So the Yankees should hopefully score on that. His XERA is still closer to five and his current ERA is three and a half. So I think this could be a spot for him to kind of cool off. And I hope the Yankees get it done, but it should be a good game. And Cole, yeah, looking for a bounce back. I think he probably gets it done. He's been spectacular. There's going to be one-offs for every pitcher. There's going to be Jack Flaherty's throwing 11 Ks. There's going to be Waka, you know, looking like he has a no-hitter until the seventh inning. I mean, it's still baseball, right? You're going to get these crazy performances where you're like, that literally came out of left field. But, you know, you kind of got to stick to your guns in this game, right? You can't be phased by the one-off performances. Bassett throwing nine innings. I feel like it's less likely for him to perform up to that level again than it is to have, you know, some problems, maybe some fatigue, and get pulled from this one after 
three and two outs. So we'll see. And I'm so glad that you mentioned one-off performances because in his last start, Luis Medina, the Oakland A starter, looked like a major league pitcher. And now he's going to be at home facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks with Ryan Nelson. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, they're between about minus 150 to a minus 155 with a total of nine. And I think that this is a really nice hammer spot on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Being out here in Las Vegas, that's where the A's affiliate are. I can tell you, Luis Medina, at the minor league level, I recognize that it's the PCL where scoring is rampant. He gave up north of 10 walks per nine innings. I just don't see how there's really any opportunity to bet the Oakland A's at this point if you're getting under $2 even when they're at home at this point for one. And two, I think that Luis Medina got incredibly lucky in his last start, and now I think he gets hammered. Yeah, I mean, what, getting only three runs against with the Rangers? Uh, Yeah, it's definitely going to be a little rough for him seeing how the Angels were kind of able to just hound him. Has the fastball velocity but it feels like the rest of the pitches kind of aren't there. Of course, it's also the athletics, and we know that they don't have this this bullpen behind them to kind of back up a young pitcher getting in trouble. I think it's been very successful to bet on team totals going over against this team. The 8 ERA probably is a little inflated for Medina, but you know if he's going to go five innings, I think you're probably going to get three or four runs as the most common result. So I like that. It may be if you're looking for a first five team total over against him. Yep, absolutely. As we do have Justin Perry, he does great work at Chocolate Bets. Joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And Justin, we've taken a look at a few games for Wednesday already. Is there anything that really stands out on the board? Now, we are doing this with a few games off the board and especially the bad teams are having a tough time figuring out who's all going to be starting at this point. But with that said, is there anything that stands out to you, whether it is going to be something that you're going to bet, or maybe it's not something that you're going to bet, but maybe it's a team, a pitcher that you're a little bit juries out on and you want to see a little bit more from? You know, it's a little slim out there, but I, I still think that there's probably some decent value. I, I definitely will be looking for the Yankees. I think it's a pretty good price on them. You know, Adam Wainwright, I think, is maybe a interesting spot to go against. Corbin Burns taking the hill. Of course, every time Spencer Strider pitches, you kind of got to tune in and see how many strikeouts he's going to get. I'm probably looking at like top pitchers that I enjoy betting on and continuing to trust that talent. It's a little tough out there. You know, I'm not really looking at any of the matchups with teams like the Nationals and the Marlins, staying away from that series and not really touching Cubs Astros either. I think that'll be pretty interesting but yeah i'll probably be on the yankees to get it done and then also probably the brewers in the first five i'm not really too sold on wainwright just yet probably get decent value there and something that we always get amazing value on is you joining this podcast justin you do an incredible job over at shock quality bets i know you guys have been doing an amazing job with your player props this nba this offseason and obviously during college basketball season you do a tremendous job but the summer months I know you do a nice job ripping it up on the baseball front as well. So love to get people at home. And what's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, we are definitely ripping player props. We have great stuff going out every day on our Twitter over at Shock Quality Bets. You know, developing out our newest feature, which is up to the minute live expected scores of NBA games. So trying to get new angles on betting with analytics is really what we do. Talking some baseball definitely as we get into the last two rounds of the NBA playoffs. But lots of props coming up. 
really excited for everything we got going on. Summer's not boring. We're just, you know, planning for more basketball and enjoying some baseball. So thanks for having me as always, Greg, and look forward to being back next time. Justin does an amazing job taking a look at so many things. Football, basketball, baseball, you name it, he does it. Obviously, his main thing is over at Shot Quality Bets, but every single time he joins his podcast, always lends tremendous insights, much like today. So big thanks to Justin for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast and coming up next. It is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
what's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to get Justin Perry aboard. He does great work over at Shot Quality Bets. Do not let the name fool you, though, because he is an ace out there when it comes to taking a look at the great game of baseball. Every single time he joins this podcast, does a great job breaking down the game that we all know and love. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 951-952 on the betting board. It is the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati. And they're on to the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Austin Gomber goes for Colorado, and Graham Ashcraft goes for the Reds. And the Reds are anywhere between even money and plus 110, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The number on Colorado, 11, is the total. Over is minus 115 to minus 120. The under, that is anywhere between even and minus 105. And with the Reds, I did set them as a minus 108 favorite. I'm going to be willing to back them. Big reason why I'm going to be willing to do so is that Graham Ashcraft has been terrific for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, it is a Reds team that currently ranks dead last in the National League in terms of home runs on the road. Overall, in terms of total home runs, they have a few more than our good friends of Washington Nationals, but they have not been able to really pound them out too much on the road. But you do have a few guys that entered into Tuesday with five home runs of Jake Fraley along with Spencer Steer. Now, bad news is T.J. Friedel, who's been able to hit right around a 300 for the bunch, looks like he's going to be out of the fold for a little bit. But that said, you've got Jonathan India has been able to do a good job moving the line. He's got about a 390 on base. Fraley, who I mentioned before, he, Nick Senzel, both have between about a 355 to a 370 on base as well. And then got guys like Tyler Stevenson, Spencer Steer, even Henry Ramos. These guys hang right around about a 250 to 255. So guys are able to get on base. And you go up against someone in Austin Gomber that's been allowing a lot of people to get on base. Four starts at home thus far this season. He has an 838 ERA, 18 runs surrendered in 19 in the third innings. He has given up eight home runs in 40 innings overall. So He's been very willing to give out the deep ball. His walks per nine rate that is north of three and a half. Graham Ashcraft has had a little bit of an issue in terms of walks as well. His walks per nine rate 
is a little bit north of 4.1 right now, but he's been able to do a good job of being able to limit hard contact, giving up less than home run per nine innings. Now, this is Colorado Rockies team that perennially, they always have some of the best home offensive numbers in the big leagues and some of the worst road offensive numbers in the league entered into yesterday, hitting at 287, but not a lot of power. 19 home runs in their first 20 games this season. C.J. Crone has not been himself and has now been placed on the injured list, so that's been a little bit of a blow for the team. Good news is they do have Randall Gritchick, who entered into yesterday, hitting well north of 400 at home this far this season, and Elias Diaz, Ryan McMahon, Charlie Blackman, these have been guys that have been able to move the line for this bunch, but what I do think is interesting is that both of these bullpens have not been too terrible, actually, thus far this season. Brent Suter has a sub-2 ERA. Brad Hand has been solved for the Rockies, and Daniel Bart has returned with a sub-250 ERA. Meanwhile, Alexis Diaz has become one of the better closers, in my opinion, in the big leagues. A sub-225 ERA for his career over the last two seasons. Lucas Sims is able to give you some good innings as well, so I do think that you are going to be seeing both of these teams having a tough time going yard, but I do think that this is going to be a case of death by a million cuts. I think that Ashcraft has been a little bit lucky to only have the 395 ERA that he does with him not being much of a strikeout guy, giving out quite a few walks, but I do think that he is superior to Austin Gomber, so I did set the Reds minus 108 on the money line, going to be willing to take them at a plus price. Semi-total at an 11.8 as well. I do think the Gomber gets Gombered up, so looking at the over and the Cincinnati Reds on the money line. 953-954 on the betting board. It is the Philadelphia Phillies on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Tywon Walker is going to be on the bump for the Phillies. It is good old to be determined who's going for the San Francisco Giants. This is a game that's off the board. Currently, Fangrass and ESPN says that it is going to be Sean Manea. If it would be Manea versus Taiwan Walker, I did set the money line of the Phillies at a minus 132, so would be willing to lay up to a minus 131 there. Would need a plus 133 or greater to take a look at the Giants with a total of 8.7, which means in after less, I'd be looking at it over 9 or higher to the under. And if it is Sean Manea, I'm pretty much treating it as a bullpen game for the San Francisco Giants. As this guy has went three and two-thirds innings or fewer in four out of his last five appearances. He has made six starts and two long relief appearances, and he has been absolutely dreadful. He's got a 7.96 ERA. You can make the case that he had to pitch in Mexico City, but that said, even if you take out of the full of the game in Mexico City, this guy has still been a complete and utter disaster. And overall, this is the San Francisco Giants bullpen that is dead last in the National League in terms of ERA. Entering it yesterday with a 5.84, Camilio Duvall has been able to do a halfway decent job for the team, but really you've gotten not a whole heck of a lot else. Got Alexander and schlubs like this. They have just not been tremendous. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for Tywa Walker, and he just hasn't been at his sharpest as far this season. He is posting up an ERA that is well north of 5 as well. As a matter of fact, it is a 575 as his walks are just way up. He's been giving up north of 3.6 walks per 9 innings. 8 home runs given up in 40 and 2 thirds innings, and that is an issue against the San Francisco Giants. Now, for the San Francisco Giants, They've done a significantly better job of being able to crank out the deep ball when they've been on the road rather than at home. That makes sense because, well, Oracle Park is one of the most pitcher-friendly ballparks in the league. You've got the Giants cranking out 1.85 home runs per game on the road going into yesterday. 1.24 home runs per game at home, but still fourth in the league overall in terms of total home runs. And I keep saying this with the San Francisco Giants. You're probably not going to have a single guy really crank out more than 30 home runs, but that said, you're probably going to have like seven guys that give you like 20 as 
We sit here right now. We've got eight separate guys for the San Francisco Giants with at least five home runs this far this season. Though many of these players, in terms of being able to get on base and their batting average, can be a little bit inconsistent as we've got Theria Estrada hitting well above a 300. J.D. Davis has been with about a 295, and both of these guys have between six and seven home runs. But their main masher, Michael Conforto, entered into the night on Tuesday with eight home runs. He's hitting a 205. David VR, Brandon Crawford, Mitch Hanniger. Wisely, these are all guys hitting below the Mendoza. I am 200, though. Really loved what I've seen out of Casey Schmidt. I mean, that guy, he has been doing an amazing job of being able to get on base. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they've been good at being able to get on. They have been so great at being able to drive these guys in. Bryce Harper getting a little bit of power. You've got to think that that is going to be up on them out moving forward as he hasn't necessarily had a lot of home runs since coming back, but has been hitting well north of a 300 along Nick Cassianos. And then you've got the likes of JT Remuto, Brandon Marsh, Bryson Stott hitting about a 282, a 290. So this team has done a great job of being a move line. Although I will say with Philadelphia Phillies, you've got your bullpen issues with them as well, especially with them now having out of the fold, Jose Alvarado, Gregory Soto, after a really rough start to the season, he's looked a little bit better, but Jeff Hoffman, not necessarily a trustworthy guy, Sir Anthony Dominguez, he's looking to refine it after it's been a rough start to the season for them. Do expect some regression for Andrew Vasquez, but sub-2 ERA, but bad news is they also employ Craig Kimbrell. So, in this spot, if it's Simon Walker and Sean Manea slash a bullpen game of the Giants, made the Phillies a minus-132 favorite, I'd be willing to take a plus-130 or greater with them on the run line as well, and Made by total at 8.7, and after less, looking at the over, 9 or higher to the under, and with Phillies willing to lay up to a minus 131, them need at least a plus 133 on the Giants, 955, 956 on the board, the Washington Nationals, hit the road face off against the Miami Marlins, Edward Cabrera goes for the Miami Marlins, and Mackenzie Gores on the bump for Washington, 7.5 to 8 is the total on the 8, under is minus 120, the overs even on the 7.5, over is minus 115, the under is minus 105, the Miami Marlins are between minus 125 to minus 135 favorites between plus 110 and plus 120. Your number on Washington needed at least a plus 128 to take a shot on the Nats, seeing it right around minus 125, minus 126. Not really willing to lay too much more with the Miami Marlins, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. The big thing for the Miami Marlins is just getting a little bit more command out of Edward Cabrera because he's got really good stuff. He's able to get a bunch of strikeouts. He has been giving up north of seven walks per nine innings thus far this season. 35 and a third innings, 30 walks. So that has been an issue, but his strikeouts per nine rate has been absolutely tremendous. He is getting well above 11 punchouts per nine innings and has been significantly better at home. 360 home ERA, 664 ERA on the road. Opponents overall hitting a 220 off of him. He has been taken deep a few times, a little bit north of 1.2 home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, Mackenzie Gore is giving up less than a home run per nine innings. And all in all, he needs to work on the command, much like our good friend Edward Cabrera. It's not as bad, but right around four and a half walks per nine innings. But he's got a 291 road ERA. He's been very solid on the road thus far this season. Opponents are hitting about a 250 off of him, and he does face off against the Miami Marlins team that is okay at being able to move line. They're not great, but at the same time, they're not terrible. And a big reason why is Luis Reyes entered into yesterday, hitting at 382. They have a deal with some ailments. Asu Sanchez finds himself out of the fold once again, but you've got the likes of John Birdie, Garrett Cooper, Brian Dana Cruz, hitting between about a 270 to 280. So these guys have been able to do a solid job. They don't necessarily draw a lot of walks, though. And in terms of power, you've got Jazz Chislam or a Soler, a combined 16 home runs going into the day on Tuesday. And Soler is just really ripping the cover off the ball this year. Past these two guys. 
Nobody else with north of three home runs. That's a little bit of an issue. What is going to be an issue for both of these starters as well is that they're backed up by, let's call it what it is, not necessarily such great bullpen. Says for the Miami Marlins, they entered in the yesterday 24th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA, with Washington Nationals 25th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. So, something that you do need to be mindful of now. Good news for Miami. JT Chargois, one of their best relievers, he's back off the injury list. That's big because AJ Puck has been solid. Uskar Brazoban entered in the yesterday with a sub 2 ERA. And for the Washington Nationals, the guys that were actually halfway decent in this bullpen last year, they're starting to fail them as. Erasmo Ramirez has seen his ERA hike up north of four. Been able to get good production out of Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey. They both have a sub-3 ERA, but Nisa Thompson is up to north of a 4-4 ERA. Andres Machado, he's at about a 5 in terms of ZRA for the Washington Nationals. It's an interesting offense in that they actually have the fewest strikeouts of any lineup in the big leagues. They had about a 260 as a collective as well. And what I think is so fascinating about the Nationals as well, they're averaging nearly five runs per game on the road, right around three runs per game at home, but they just have no power whatsoever. They entered into yesterday with 26 home runs in their first 41 games as dead last in the National League, but you've got the likes of Luis Garcia, Dominic Smith, hitting about a 270, and in the case of Smith, 360 on base. Victor Robles, sitting nearly a 300 long, Joey Manessa. So these guys have been able to do a solid job. The only guys that have really been able to give you four home runs, so is Lane Thomas, C.J. Abrams, Jameer Candelario. All sitting there with four now. Good news is, with Thomas, he's able to give you about a 345 on base, but just no power whatsoever in terms of this team with the Washington Nationals, too. They're not necessarily a team that's going to be overly patient, draw a lot of walks. I do think that that is going to play in favor of Edward Cabrera. You've got a pair of suspect bullpens, but it does feel like the Miami Marlins starting to get right a little bit more. I did set my total at 7.7. I do think that Gore and Cabrera are going to allow a few too many base runners. I recognize that it's a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but I mean, both of these teams aren't necessarily relying upon the deep ball too much to start with. There are more teams that are looking to move the line, play station to station, so wanted to take the 7.5 over and with Miami, one to life to a minus 127 with them. 957, 958 on the betting board. It is the Milwaukee Brewers on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Says you've got Wayno, Adam Wainwright on the bump for St. Louis, and Corbin Burns is on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. He always gets that old English accent as we're going to put some English on this one. Between minus 117 and minus 120, your number on the Brewer. Between even money and plus 110 is your price on St. Louis. 8.5 is the total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. And set the Brewers out of minus 147. I'm in agreement with our good friend Justin Perry. I'm going to be taking a look at the Brewers on the money line with Corbin Burns. You take a look at him since the beginning of the 2021 season. His ERA on the road is more than a full half a point better than it is at home. And that's taken hold thus far this year as well. 380 home ERA, 296 road ERA. It's because he gives up less hard contact on the road. His home runs per nine rate drops by about 20 to 25 percent when he's away from Milwaukee. Opponents are also hitting a 204 off of him. Home slash road now. We've seen the walks for Corbin Birds go up right around 3.6 walks per nine innings, but he's still in much better form than Adam Wainwright. Wainwright has made two starts. In both starts, he gave up four runs over the course of five innings. He does not have swing and miss stuff anymore. He's 41 years old. He's going to be 42 in August. This guy is absolutely ancient at this point, and 
I mean, he's faced off against the Milwaukee Brewers a lot, so I guess he's got a lot of familiarity there. But with the Brewers, you just sort of have this log jam slash smorgasbord of guys that give you between about a 323 to a 350 on base. Jesse Winker, Rowdy Tellez, Christian Yelich, Brian Anderson, Owen Miller, all sort of in that fold. In the case of Miller hitting above the three-air, in the case of Tellez entered into yesterday with 10 home runs, and the catcher spot as a whole, they've been your best two players in terms of being able to move the line and get on base. For the Brewers, Victor Carantini, William Contreras, these guys have been rock solid for the Brewers. Now with the Brewers, we saw their bullpen ERA get completely hiked up by our good friend Gus Varland, who gave up like nine runs of the eighth inning on Monday. That was a great DK Nation write-up pick, and Gus Varland said, said, well, he's currently not with the team, as the team decided to make some bullpen shakeups, which... I mean, they rank 20th right now in terms of bullpen ERA. They're actually significantly better. They've been hurt by really three bad innings all season long. So I do think that you need a little bit of context when taking a look at this Brewers bullpen because Joel Pionce, Elvis Piguero, these are two guys with a sub-3 ERA price. Wilson has been a good long guy. Devin Williams, he's able to close it down. Now they're looking at J.B. Bukakis to be able to give them a little bit of something in the bullpen after, well, Gus Farland, he is not with the team after he gave up all those runs. Uh, a few days ago, and then for the St. Louis Cardinals, Ryan Elsley is starting to look like the guy that was an all-star during the 2022 campaign. Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, a pair of guys that will be able to give you a sub-350 ERA. James Naley, he's a little bit up and down, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, the team does a very good job of being able to hit lefties, so that is something that you do like for the team. Unfortunately, that is not the case for one Corbin Burns, who is a righty, but Paul Goldschmidt has been able to move the line regardless. He's been able to hit about a 320, 400 on base. Only about seven home runs. I do expect him to be able to pick it up, but how about the rebirth of Nolan Arenado? We had a really rough run to start the season. Entered into yesterday with a home run in four straight games. So that is absolutely massive for him after. It's not so great to say the least. And Nolan Gorman has been able to give the team 10 home runs as far as the season. The bottom of the fold. Guys like Dylan Carlson, who I know is a little bit banged up. Alec Burleson. A lot of these young outfielders just have not had a nice start to the season. I don't know why they sent Jordan Walker back down to the minor leagues. I think that they should be calling him back up because he was legitimately one of their most consistent guys at being able to move the line to Lon Flowers' Newt Bar, 444 on base. But that said, I do think that Corbin Burns going to be able to come out. He's going to be able to give a good start. I did say my tell at an 8.2. I do think that Adam Wainwright is going to be able to find it a little bit more. And the Burrs have had a bit of a tough time moving the line on the road. So this is a circumstance in which I'm going to be taking a look at the 8.5 under. So I tell it at 8.2 with the Burrs. One away, more like a minus 145 with them. Taking a look at the Burrs on the money line and the under. 959-960 on the betting board. The Baltimore Orioles, but you'll see LA Angels. Griffin Canning goes for the Angels, and Kyle Bradish is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore between minus 128 to minus 135 favorites, between plus 115 to plus 120. Your number on the Angels, 9.5 is the total. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. Did set my tail on 9.2. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. The big reason why I'm going to be taking a look at the under is that I recognize that Kyle Bradish is not necessarily a great starter, though. I would argue that he's starting to find a little bit more of something, but he is backed up by a Baltimore Orioles bullpen that has just been able to sling it all season long. Going into Tuesday, number two in the league in terms of bullpen ERA at a three. Yanir Cano has yet to give up a run all season long. Felix Batista has been incredible. Brian Baker has been able to give you a sub-250 ERA. Danny Columbia has been relatively reliable. So there's a lot to be able to help out Kyle Bradish, who, once again, not necessarily the world's greatest starter, but three runs are fierce surrendered in each of his last three starts. And in four out of his last five, really, aside from the disaster start that he had against the Boston Red Sox, 
He's been relatively reliable. He's working on the walks. He's still giving out north of three walks per nine innings, but he's got swing and miss stuff. It will give you just under nine punch shots per nine innings. And Griffin Canning, he's coming off of a bad start against the Houston Astros where he gave up five runs and three and two-thirds innings just in watching that. He pitched better than that. He had like a pickoff attempt that went completely awry. The defense did him absolutely no favors whatsoever. Griffin Canning, all in all, I think is an okay pitcher as he's been able to get right around eight strikeouts per nine innings. So walks per nine rate is something that he needs to address to right around 3.3 walks for nine innings, but I think that he's going to be able to hold down the fort in this spot against a Baltimore Orioles lineup that it's not necessarily super fearsome, it's just really balanced in general. Like, you've got Austin the Sage kid and Adley Rushman doing a great job getting a base. Hayes is hitting a 300, Rushman a 400 on base. You got a lot of guys hitting for six home runs as Cedric Bones, Rushman, Ode Mateo, Anthony Santander all entered into yesterday with six home runs and for Santander. His numbers are a little bit dwarfed by the fact that he was dealing with a back injury towards the beginning part of the season last 15 days. He's been hitting more like a 350. Meanwhile, you've been able to get eight home runs off the bat of Ryan Mountcastle as well. And the team does a good job of being able to seal bases. Cedric Mullins, Ode Mateo, as a collective, entered into yesterday with 25 stolen bases. And we do know what the LA Angels are able to provide in terms of their offense. Mike Trout, Shoei Otani, two of the most fearsome men in the big leagues, both with north of a 365 on base, both have eight-plus home runs. But it's really Hunter Renfro who has been able to lead the way in terms of being able to supply 10 home runs for this team. He's hitting a little bit north of a 250. He has been a really nice find for this team. He got a little bit of a day off yesterday, but you've been able to find someone like a Gio Urshel to be able to move the line, not necessarily drawing a lot of walks, but he's hitting about a 290. Anthony Rendon has one more home run than myself, but he's been able to get on base. The injury to Logan Hoppy, though, I think has hurt this team now with the Angels. They're currently 7th in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. These are one of these where you want to look into the numbers because if you take a look at more of the advanced numbers like XFIP, this is a below average bullpen. Carlos Estevez has been a nice surprise at Matt Moore since the beginning part of last season. He's actually got a sub-2 ERA, but when you're relying upon guys like Zach Weiss, Jimmy Harrigan, it's not necessarily a place where you want to be. Ryan Tapera is no longer with the team, so that helps him out a little bit. Chris Savinsky, though, is someone that I just really can't back in this spot, but I do think that we are seeing the coming of age of Kyle Bradish. And for Griffin Canning, I think that he's a little bit better than his numbers would indicate, but with that said, in terms of the Baltimore Orioles, set them at a minus 147 on the money line. If you're looking at their run line, you're going to be finding that anywhere between about a plus 140 to a plus 150. I need it at least a plus 135. I see a little bit more of an edge just playing it safe, taking a look at the money line, because I do think that the Angels are going to be able to crank out a few runs in this spot. Semi-tail at 9.2 set and a 9.5. Looking at the under and looking at the Orioles on the money line. 9.61, 9.62 on the betting board. The Toronto Blue Jays play us the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole is going to be going for the Yanks and Chris Bassett as the hook, line, and sinker for Toronto. Toronto is a plus 102 to a plus 105 underdog between minus 112 to minus 115 your price on the Yankees and the Yankees are finding this total at an 8.5 under minus 120 to a minus 125 over between even at plus 105 seeing a straight 8 out there that 8 over is minus 115 the under is minus 105 and whether you've got an 8 or an 8.5 I do like this total under I set my total at a 7.7 Chris Bassett has looked very good recently for this squad after he had that disastrous first start of the season where he gave up nine runs to the St. Louis Cardinals, was unable to complete four innings. He has been very good, giving up a sub at 250 ERA in that time span as they will do a very nice job in Toronto as well. He's got a home ERA of a 273 and four starts 
has given up just one home run, so he's done a nice job holding down the fort. Now, I do fear a bit of regression as he's getting only about seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings. His walks per nine rate is right around four. Opponents are hitting a buck 82 off of him, despite the fact that he's a little bit of a pitcher contact guy. So, that is something that I do have at the back of my mind. And for Garrett Cole, last two starts have been a little bit more rough for him. He gives up two runs in five innings against the Rays, and then six runs, five of which were earned in five innings against the Rays as well. But you take out starts against the Tampa Bay Rays, and guess what? He has given up seven runs in seven starts. So, that is something that is very encouraging for Garrett Cole. And Garrett Cole, I do think, is going to be able to do a nice job in this circumstance. He's allowed four home runs of 56 and two-thirds innings. Strikeout numbers are honestly a little bit down, suffering right around 10 punch outs per nine innings, but it's done a good job of being able to just limit hard contact in general. Opponents are about a 200 off of them. Walks per nine rate. That is in the neighborhood about two and a half, perhaps a little bit more, but this is a Blue Jays lineup that just as often able to get online, and I do think that the Blue Jays are going to find that power. I do think that they're going to be doing a better job of just being able to crank out offense in general, but it is a matter of when is that coming, because for the Toronto Blue Jays, they entered into yesterday with 44 home runs in their first 41 games of the season. That's just not what you expect out of the Toronto Blue Jays, as they've actually been one of the top home under teams in all baseball thus far this season. Not very common to see the Blue Jays right around 15th of the league in terms of home runs per game as Boba Shett, Flagero Jr. have combined for 15 home runs thus far this season. Both providing north of a 365 on base, both hitting above a 3 arm at Chapman. He continues to provide a 400 on base as well. And Whit Merrifield has been very good at being able to move the line, hitting about a 280. Kevin Kiermaier, I still think there's going to be a regression with him, hitting right around about a 320 or so as well. Dalton Varsho hasn't necessarily been able to get on base, but he's been able to provide a little bit of power. The question is, when do the likes of Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, Santiago Espino, guys hitting a 220 or lower, pick it up? And for the Toronto Blue Jays, it has been a bullpen that has been a little bit topsy-turvy, as Eric Swanson has been incredible for the team along to Mesa. These are guys who have been able to supply a sub-2 ERA, Jordan Romano. It's been a little bit up and down, but I still have faith in him as a reliever. This bullpen entered into Tuesday 12th in the league in terms of ERA, much of it due to Yimmy Garcia and Anthony Bass. Not necessarily being so terrific, and for the New York Yankees, they're both NERA, currently number three in the big leagues, as you've had so many guys supply such good innings. Clay Holmes just continues to be someone that I can't trust, and I think a lot of it is just going back to his Pirates days, but I just have a tough time having any faith in him. But you've got Jimmy Cordero, Wandy Peralta, Ian Hamilton, Michael King. You're even able to throw in there someone like Ron Medanaccio as all those guys aside from Medanaccio have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, more like a 350 with Medanaccio, a very fun name to say for the New York Yankees. The offense, all of a sudden it has life. Going into yesterday, they had scored at least six runs in seven out of their last eight games. Aaron Judge being back in the fold is absolutely massive. Ten home runs in his first 117 at-bats of the season. Anthony Rizzo does a good job as a table setter, 390 on base. DJ turned it up LeMayu, along with Aaron Judge, both hitting right around 275. And Jake Bowers has really been a nice find for the team as well, as he's done a good job of being able to get on base, provide the team with a little bit of power. Still need more at the bottom of the fold, the entire catcher spot, as well to Cabrera, Anthony Volpe. These are guys hitting at 220 or lower, but that said, I do like the way that the Yankees have been able to round into form. 
I do see some regression coming for Chris Bassett, but I think that Garrett Cole going to be able to sling a gem in this one. He's always had quite a bit of success pitching within the division against teams not named the Tampa Bay Rays. Also throwing there the Boston Red Sox because, well, that's not great either. But that said, did set the Yankees at a minus 123 in this spot. So I'm going to be one to lay the minus 115 with the Yankees. Semi total is 7.7. So you're at an 8 to an 8.5. Looking at the under to go along with the Yankees. 963, 964 on the betting board. It is the Seattle Mariners. They throw a defeat off against the Boston Red Sox. As Brian Bayo goes for the Sox and Marco Gonzalez is on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners are between even money to uh, plus 112 underdogs. Meanwhile, and between minus 115 to minus 128 is your number on the Boston Red Sox. 10 is your total, the over and the under. And between minus 105 to minus 115. And when it comes to this one, I set my total at a 9.9. So here at a 10, I am just barely willing to go under Brian Bayo. He's been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to keep down hard contact throughout his career. He's given up six career home runs. In a little bit over 80 innings of work now with Bayo, he does have a 5 ERA. And with Brian Bayo, the biggest key with him is just being able to lock in in terms of command. It's been an issue for him this year. It was an issue for him when he was brought up to the big league level last year as well. Career 3.8 walks per 9 innings. That's some good stuff. A 8.8 strikeouts per 9 innings rate between last year and this year. And if you take a look throughout his career, he's got a 480 ERA between last year and this year, but a 355 fielding independent. So I do think that he's been getting very unlucky on balls in play both last year and this year. And when it comes to the Boston Red Sox, they are a lineup that is able to match. This team is in the top five of the big leagues in terms of runs per game now. The thing with the Boston Red Sox is that I feel like they've overperformed a little bit thus far this season. Entering into the series, they were rating about a 267 as a collective, and if you take a look at their expected batting average, that was more around a 252, as you do have a few guys like Tristan Casas, Christian Wong, you're able to throw in there, as well Kike Hernandez, hitting below a 240 for the team that have been a little bit rough. Rafael Devers has been able to supply 11 home runs, and you've been able to get some really good on-base percentages out of guys like Alex Verdugo, Justin Turner, Masataka Yoshida, being above a 360 as well, but they also face off against a Seattle Mariners team that is currently number one in the big leagues in terms of bullpen right Now, I expect a little bit of regression here as well. As you've got a lot of guys that have just overperformed this season as Juan Fenn, Taylor Saucedo, Trevor Gott, Gabe Spire, Justin Topa. These are all guys that entered into Tuesday with a sub-2 ERA. And for the Seattle Mariners, big key for them, just being able to get on base. For the Seattle Mariners, they entered into the series dead last in the league. In terms of batting average, they've been able to bolster that a little bit. But you got guys like Taylor Trammell, Colton Wong, A.J. Pollock, Julio Rodriguez. These guys hitting at 220 or lower. They're completely killing the team. Now, we got eight home runs apiece from Teoscar Hernandez, Jerry Kelnick. Kelnick has been able to hit about a 290 for the squad. And Ty France has been able to do a good job moving the line. He's been able to give the team about a 360 on base. But certainly there's been a lot to be desired there. And Marco Gonzalez, he leaves a whole bunch to be desired as well. Not that I think that Bayo is necessarily MLB ready at this point. But with Marco Gonzalez... He just doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. His strikeouts per nine rate this far this season, it's hardly above six. He's just been really lucky on balls in play because Marco Gonzalez 
is a guy that last year had an ERA that was nearly a full point lower than his fielding independent. And once again this season, Marco Gonzalez is way outperforming his expected numbers. As he's currently got a 4.42 ERA fielding independent north of a 4.3. It's not as bad as it was a season ago, but I just take a look at the way that he's pitching. Three walks per nine innings. He gives up quite a bit of hard contact. The fact that he's only got a 4.42 ERA just boggles my mind as he's actually been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home thus far this season. But opponents hit a, a 275 off of him. I do think that he is going to be giving up quite a few runs before the bullpen is able to stabilize things, which is why I did set my total at a 9.9 here to 10. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under, but with the Boston Red Sox, set them as a minus 138 on the money line. I think that Bayo just flat out the better pitcher. I think that the Red Sox have the better lineup. So, willing to take the Red Sox on the money line here to 10. Also going to be taking a look at the under. 965, 966 on the banking board. The Cleveland Guardians in third faceoff against the Chicago White Sox. Mike Clevenger goes for the Sox and Peyton Battenfield is on the bump for the Guardians. Guardians and the Guardians are anywhere between a minus 105 to a minus 114, very slight favorite. Between minus 102 to minus 110, your number on the Southsiders. And nine is the total. The over and the under are anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. With the White Sox, I did set them at a minus 106. I'm finding a lot of places with them at a minus 105. I'm going to be willing to back them at a minus 105 or less. And with the White Sox, it has been a no good, very bad, terrible year, but with Peyton Banfield, I just can't get there with him because with Peyton Banfield, I felt like he was brought up to the major leagues a little bit too quickly. He really doesn't have a lot of swing and miss stuff. His command still needs a little bit of honing in, and he's backed up by a really good bullpen. This is a Guardians team that is in the top five of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. It's been a little bit of a up-and-down year for James Karinchek, but you've had Emmanuel Classe continue to be rock solid as a closer. Trevor Steven, Aniel De Los Santos, Xavion Curry on the bullpen have a sub-275 ERA. Nick Sandlin has been a little bit rough, but by and large, I like what I've seen out of all of these guys. But for Peyton Banfield, it's right now getting a strikeouts per 9 or 8 that's hovering right around 7.5 while giving up north of 3 walks per 9 in innings. He has now allowed at least 3 runs in 3 out of his last 4 starts. One of those was a home start against the Colorado Rockies. Another one of those was against the Detroit Tigers as well. So not necessarily facing off against the world's greatest competition. And for the Chicago White Sox, all of a sudden it is a lineup that is getting a little bit healthier. As now you've got back Tim Anderson along with Yohan Moncada. That should be able to help this team out as right now got a whole bunch of guys. And between about a 250 to a 260. Team has no idea how to draw walks to save their lives. But you know what? You've got Gavin Sheets along with... The uh, young outfielder for the team, Adam Heasley, Tim Anderson. When he's been out there, Eloy Jimenez as he's hurt once again. All in that fold. And then you've had Luis Robert hitting at 275, supplying 11 home runs as far as the season. Jake Berger has been able to go deep eight times as far as the season as well. And Berger is one of the few guys that is actually going to draw a few walks for you. Now, the big trepidation that you've got with the Chicago White Sox is that this bullpen is terrible. Other than the Oakland A's, they are the worst bullpen in the big leagues as you've had Gregory Santos, along Keenan Middleton, be able to supply sub-3 ERAs and pass that. You've got guys like... Aaron Bummer, Joe Kelly, you're able to go down the list of just untrustworthy relievers. And for Mike Clevenger, he has been having his issues in terms of command as well. Only up to about 7.6 strikeouts per nine innings. You'd like to see that go a little bit higher, but up to four walks 
for nine innings. So that's been a little bit of an issue, giving up three plus runs in four out of his last five starts. But the Cleveland Guardians are about as offensive as Ned Flanders right now. As in terms of their home run rate, this team is dead last in the American League in terms of total home runs. As Josh Naylor is the only guy with worth of four home runs. Now, it does feel like they're starting to pick it up a little bit more in terms of their offense. Stephen Kwan is back to above a 270. Jose Ramirez, about a 360 on base. But you had Andre Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez, Will Brandon, Ahmed Rosario, all be guys last season that hit above 270. And Rosario's back up to hitting about a 260. But I mean, with the other three guys hitting below a 235 going into yesterday, it's just not going to cut it. The Guardians hitting a 228 as a collective. That's not what is a recipe for success for the team. Because even though the Guardians were second to last in terms of home runs last season, they were able to make the playoffs because they had guys that were able to get on base. They just don't have as much of that thus far this season. So, I mean, that is a big black eye, and I do think that that's going to help out Clevenger and the struggling bullpen. I did sum my total at an 8.7 as well. So, here tonight, I'm going to be taking a look at the under with the White Sox at a minus 105 or less. Want to lay it with them on the money line. 967, 968 on the betting board. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're on the road facing off against the Detroit Tigers. As you got Eduardo Rodriguez going for the Tigers, and Rich Hill is on the bump for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is anywhere between a plus 122 to a plus 140 underdog. Meanwhile, anywhere between minus 145 to minus 154, your number on Detroit. 7.5 to 8 is the total on the 7.5. Over is minus 120. The under is even on the 8. The under is minus 120. And the over is even. Semi-total is 7.1. So, I mean, whether you've got 7.5 or 8, I do like this total under. Eduardo Rodriguez has been absolutely ridiculous. And his last few starts, and I would argue, last three days, he might be the best pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. He's allowed one run across his last five starts, giving up five blocks in that time span. He's been able to get six-plus punch-outs in four of those last five starts. Eduardo Rodriguez has been absolutely superb. After he gave up seven runs at his first two starts of the season, he has been completely nails from there. Meanwhile, he's going up against the oldest active starter in the big leagues in Rich Hill, who's currently providing a 435 ERA. Now, the results recently have not honestly been awful. In terms of earned runs, two runs or fewer surrendered in four of his last five starts. There have been a pair of starts where he gave up three total runs, but not all of those were earned. He was hurt badly by his fielding, but he is giving up right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings. The walks per nine rate is a little bit above three. It looks like regression signs are clearly there with our good friend in Rich Hill. Now, I don't know if the Tigers are necessarily going to be able to exploit them because the Detroit Tigers are a bottom five offense in the big leagues and darn near every category. Though you do have a few guys that are starting to pick it up. Eric Ossack, McKinstry, Riley Green, all laying above a 270 at this point. Javi Baez, ever since he got benched towards the middle of April, has been hitting above a 300 since that time as well. Just don't have a lot of power with this team. Jason Rogers leads the team with five home runs. He's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. And then you've got Nick Mayton, Kerry Carpenter. They've been able to supply four home runs apiece. Mayton is hitting a buck 53. Kerry Carpenter is hitting a 217. Both of these guys, a sub 280 on base. So you do have your issues there. And for the Detroit Tigers, I do think that their bullpen ERA, it is a little bit misleading as they did enter into Tuesday right around 17th in the league. But you've got some actually very trustworthy guys as Alex Lang, Jason Foley, 
maybe they'll be able to give you a sub-2 ERA thus far this season. Tyler Holton, he's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Jose Cicerano has been relatively solid. It's been the long guys like Tyler Alexander and company that have really let this team down, along with Trey Winchester, who's currently not on the roster. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Friars, they've been able to do a solid job with their bullpen as well. They're currently a top-10 team in terms of bullpen area. David Benner has been very solid. You've seen Dwayne Underwood Jr. start to have his... Well, not so great play, but someone like Jose Hernandez giving you a 330 ERA. These guys have been able to do a relatively solid job. So I do think that this is going to be a well-pitched game. We had a Pirates bunch that as well. They have scored four runs or fewer now each out of their last 12 games. It has been completely deplorable for them. Three runs or fewer in 11 out of their last 12. It's going completely down the toilet bowl. For this team, you do have Andrew McCutcheon who's been able to supply seven home runs. And then Brian Reynolds is able to get on base. He's sitting about at 285. But for Brian Reynolds, he's been stuck on five home runs for like 30 days. I don't think he's had a home run since like the middle of April. It has been a very long time for him. And guys that were overperforming to begin the year like Jack Swiniski, Carlos Santana, Cabrian A's, Jaywan Bay... All these guys have seen their batting average come back to right around about a 230 to a 240 after they were hitting north of a 275 to begin the season. Just been bad news for them. Now with the Tigers, I did set them on the money line at a minus 144. So here at right around about a minus 145 or so, we were seeing a minus 140 a little bit earlier. It's a little bit more of a hold off. I did like the opening number for the Detroit Tigers. I do think that it's starting to get a little bit too lofty just because their defense, it can be a little bit suspect. And if you're taking a look at the run line, you're finding that anywhere between about a plus 140 and I'm seeing as high as a plus 150. If you're still able to get that plus 150 run line, I'd be looking there just because I do think that this could be a little bit more of a lopsided game, even though it's a little scoring, just because the Pirates have been so prone to getting shut out. So our current numbers will be looking at that run line of the Detroit Tigers, and here at a 7.5 to an 8, looking at the under. 969-970 is going to be the DK Nation write-up pick. We've got the Minnesota Twins on the road going up against the LA Dodgers. Dustin May goes for the Dodgers, and Sonny Gray is on the bump for the Twins. And the Dodgers are in between minus 144 to minus 155 favorites, and between plus 124 and plus 135 is your number on Minnesota. Total on this game is between 8 and 8.5 on the 8. The over is minus 115, the under is minus 105 on the 8.5. Over and under, anywhere between minus 105 to minus 115. I made the Minnesota Twins very slight favorites in the spot, right around minus 106, minus 107. So being able to get a nice plus price like this, I am going to be making the Twins money line, the DK Nation write-up pick. Sonny Gray has been absolutely tremendous. Now, I don't know if he can keep this up, but he has pitched a little bit north of 45 innings thus far this season. He has yet to allow a single home run. He has been amazing with a buck 39 ERA, 11.1 strikeouts per nine innings. Gotta wonder if the right around three walks per nine innings are going to nip him in the tuckus just a little bit. And I mean, certainly, I don't think that he's going to be able to keep up a buck 39 ERA, especially going up against an LA Dodgers team that entered into Tuesday. They are number one in the big leagues in terms of home runs. But at the same time, I mean, he leads the league in terms of ERA. His fielding independent is a little bit higher, but his fielding independent as well is number one in the big leagues among qualifying National League starters. So the advanced numbers show that he is very much for real. He has been able to put together just an absolutely tremendous season. And for Dustin May, he's been able to 
have himself a nice season as well. The team has been able to win each out of his last four starts. He's supplying an ERA that's hovering right around about at 268. I think there's going to be more aggression with him, though, as he's a lot of one home run in 47 innings, but he's not a strikeout artist. He's getting six strikeouts per nine innings, and yet he leads the National League in terms of qualifying starters in terms of hit per nine rate. Opponents are going buck 71 off of him, even though the ball is in play left and right. I do think that there is going to be quite a bit of regression for him, and he's backed up by the lesser bullpen. For the LA Dodgers, I mean, whether or not Yancey Almonte gets DFA'd after what we saw Monday, I think that that's actually a very valid question, but currently they are clocking in right around 21st in the big leagues in terms of bullpen era. The Minnesota Twins, they are 10th. With the Twins, they get Ordeal Callow back in the full. Giovanni Murray has not been himself. He's been giving you north of a 5 ERA, but Caleb Theobar, whenever he's been out there, has actually been able to give you nice innings. Yohan Duran has been incredible. Emilio Pagan hasn't been a complete hot mess, and Brock Stewart has yet to give up an earned run thus far this season. Meanwhile, for the LA Dodgers, you have to wonder if they're going to need to trot out there again. Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. And there's a reason why he's called Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. So, that's not necessarily too terrific. Kevin Phillips has been able to do a nice job along with Caleb Ferguson, Bursar, Gratterall. But you've got a lot of landmines in this bullpen. Now, the big thing for the Minnesota Twins, they are hitting 20 points lower on the road than any other team in the American League. Their batting average is right around 203 on the road. But with the Minnesota Twins, they're also number two in the American League in terms of home runs. So, these offenses have a lot of parallels between one another, and it feels like Carlos Correa is finally starting to be able to pick it up. He did have it out for four night on Monday, but prior to that, four hits in the previous two games, exactly what he needs to get going, because Correa hitting right around the Meadows line of 200, and you just take a look at all these guys. Byron Buxton, he's got a 330 on base, but he's hitting a 227, and then Jose Miranda, Correa, Joey Gallo, Max Kepler was injured once again, Nick Gordon, all these guys are in between about a buck 80 to a 220. And then when it comes to uh, what you've been able to get out for a Polanco, that's been nice. He's been back for about three, three and a half weeks, sitting about a 285. He's been able to help out this offense quite a bit, but I do think that the Twins are going to be able to do a better job in general with their pitching. And for the LA Dodgers, this is a little bit of an all-or-nothing lineup as you had in the starting lineup yesterday, guys in Max Muncy, Jason Hayward, David Peralta, Miguel Rojas, Austin Barnes, all hitting a 216 or lower now. Muncy has 14 home runs. He leads the league with that regard. Mookie Betts, though, sitting at 243. The nine home runs is nice, but at the same time, he hasn't been moving the line the way that he has in the past. And for the LA Dodgers, this team is second worst in the National League in terms of batting average only the San Diego Padres. They do a good job being able to draw walks, but I do think that Sonny Gray is going to be able to shut them down. I do think that this is going to be a relatively solidly pitched game as well. The Minnesota Twins have been one of the best under teams in all of baseball. I do think that they're going to get to Dustin May just enough to provide that support Sonny Gray needs to be able to get this one to the window. So my DKNH write-up pick, that is going to be on the Twins on the money line. I felt like they should have been a slight favorite, so I told at some point nine. So here at an eight and a half, also looking under 971, 972 on the betting board. The Oakland A's play out to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Ryan Nelson goes for the six, and Luis Medina is on the bump for Oakland, and Oakland is anywhere between a plus 135 to a plus 142 underdog, a.k.a. not enough. Anywhere between minus 155 to minus 165. Your number on Arizona, 9-9.5 is your total. On the 9, the over and under are anywhere between even money and minus 120, so shop around accordingly there. On the 9.5, under is minus 120, and the over is even. With the Diamondbacks, I set them minus 182 on the money line. If you're looking at the run line, you're finding them 
as good as a plus 105 to a plus 110, as bad as a minus 105. I was willing to lay up to a minus 112. So, I mean, sign me up for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who recognize that Ryan Nelson is not necessarily the guy that you want to be laying Mondo numbers with, but the Oakland A's just suck this bad. The Oakland A's, in terms of their overall ERA, entering into Tuesday, a 721! 721! I mean, how? This is just absolutely ridiculous. They can't find anyone that's able to pitch, and we were talking about it with Justin Perry. Luis Medina actually didn't have a bad start his last time out. He gave up three runs over the course of six innings against the Texas Rangers. I can tell you that the Las Vegas Aviators, which is the minor league affiliate of the Oakland A's and a place that actually draws more people than the Oakland A's, they had Luis Medina pitch here a little bit earlier during the season, and I mean, at the minor league level, he was posting up a walks per nine rate of 10.1. I'm not even kidding. A 10.1 walks per nine rate with a 742 year. I recognize that it's the PCL. The PCL is a tough league to pitch in, but I mean, this guy has absolutely no command whatsoever. I feel like he just got really lucky in that start, and the team still lost by four. Meanwhile, for Ryan Nelson, this guy needs to put it together as well. As his strikeouts per nine rate is hovering right around six. He does a good job of not issuing a lot of walks, about 2.4 walks per nine innings, but he is giving up about a home run and a half per nine innings. This is a daytime game in Oakland, so it's not necessarily hitter-friendly, but it's a little bit better on Brent Rooker. He's been one of the league's best hitters. In terms of OPS, he's been one of the top guys there as he's been able to hit about a 311 home runs. He has been impressive. And Estudio Ruiz, 19 stolen bases, entering into yesterday. That leads the league. He's hitting at 270. Shade Langoliers has been able to give you seven home runs. So you've got guys on this lineup that are actually halfway decent at moving the line, but this is also just not a hitter's park in general. The Oakland A's as a collective entered into yesterday, hitting at 211, just 20 home runs in the first 23 games of the season. Meanwhile, you've got an Arizona Diamondbacks team that they don't necessarily have a lot of pop in their lineup. This has been a below-average team in terms of home runs on a per-game basis, but Christian Walker has been absolutely tremendous for the team. Hitting a 265 with nine home runs for the season, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and he's been able to supply five home runs with a 300 batting average over the last 15 days. And you've got a lot of guys that have been surprising with the way that they've been able to get on. Now, I do think that there's going to be a regression with these guys, but Geraldo Perdomo, Gabriel Moreno, along with Dominic Fletcher and Emmanuel Rivera, all hitting above a 320 going into yesterday. You have Perdomo and Fletcher with north of a 400 on base. So, I mean, these guys have really been able to do a good job moving the line. And then along with Walker, you've got Ketel Marte, Nick Ahmed, Josh Ruas, Paven Smith, all in between about a 262 to 274. You've been able to have Lourdes Gurriel be able to supply six home runs as well for the years and the Diamondbacks. I mean, this bullpen is not impressive. They're in the bottom eight in the big leagues in terms of bullpen here. I do think that Miguel Castro and Andrew Chafin are going to be able to pick it up. Joe Mantiply being back on the injured list is rough, but do have Kyle Nelson is able to give you a 1-1-5 ERA. Jose Ruiz, ever since he has come over to the Arizona Diamondbacks, has been significantly better, about a 4.20 ERA after it was north of 22. I was with the White Sox, but I mean, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, they, even though they don't have great pitching, it's not Luis Medina and it's not the Oakland A's who have no bullpen whatsoever because they've had to DFA over half of it over the last week. I mean, Sam Mall, along Zach Jackson, they've provided sub-4 ERAs over the last two seasons. Richard Lovelady has been halfway decent, but that said, there's just no backing the Oakland A's in this spot. I set the Diamondbacks to a minus-112 on the run line looking there. Semi total at a 9.2, so here at the 9, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. Would I rather have a 9 over rather than a 9.5 under? 
And for the Diamondbacks, betting them on the run line, 973-974. On the betting board, it is the San Diego Padres. They play as the Kansas City Royals. To be determined is on the bump for the Royals, and you, Darvish, goes for you San Diego Padres. Right now, they are thinking that Daniel Lynch is going to be able to make this start. And if it is Daniel Lynch against you, Darvish, I made the Padres minus 234 on the money line, minus 125 on the run line, and a total of 7.9, which means 7.5 or less looking at the over, 8 or higher to the under. And what this means is I need at least a plus 235 to even consider the Royals in this spot. I do have no faith whatsoever in Daniel Lynch if he does make this start against you, Darvish, as Darvish has been so masterful at home ever since he has gotten to San Diego. His ERA has a point and a half lower at home rather than on the road overall this season, and it's been that way for the entirety of his career. Hugh Darvish benefits very greatly from being able to pitch at Petco Park. He has done an incredible job of being able to keep the walks down whenever he has been at Petco. And thus far this season, the command has been a little bit over the place, right around three walks per nine innings, but he is back to getting north of 10 punch outs per nine innings, has limited the hard contact, four home runs given up in 42 and two-thirds innings. And keep in mind, three of those home runs came in Mexico City thus far this season. So that is big. And if it is Daniel Lynch that gets a start, he has made three starts, 10 and two-thirds innings at the minor league level. Hasn't looked terrible, even though he has given up a pair of home runs in those rehab starts, but hard to be making a lot out of that as at the big league level last year, Lynch was giving up three and a half walks per nine innings, 8.3 punch outs per nine innings, and even if he does make this start, he's not going to lend a lot of length for a Royals bullpen that currently ranks in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of ERA. Roldis Chapman has actually been halfway decent for this team, and Scott Barlow, he's starting to pick it up, but still, you've got Jose Cuas, Josh Taylor, both providing north of a 5 ERA. Taylor Clark, Alonzo Barlow, more around a 4-ish ERA. You really can't rely upon these guys. And for the Kansas City Royals, they fairly nearly got no hit by Michael Waka on Monday. I mean, it's just ridiculous the way that they had just not been able to hit at the plate. You've got three guys that have north of four home runs so far this season. And Salvador Perez has been terrific. Over the last 21 days, he's hitting north of a 325. He's got nine home runs so far this season. Fiddy Pascantino, Bobby Wood Jr. They both have seven runs, home runs apiece with Pascantino 360 on base going to yesterday. But with Bobby Wood Jr., he's only hitting about a 230 with no on base. And then you've got MJ Melendez, Michael Massey hitting about a 220. And then you just go down the list. Mike Garcia, Kyle Isabel. Hunter Dozier, Framil Reyes, Jackie Bradley Jr., Nate Eaton, all these guys hitting a 209 or worse. It is deplorable. Meanwhile, the Padres are actually dead last in the big leagues in terms of batting average, and they played two games out in Mexico City. That's not great. Juan Soto has actually really been able to pick it up. He's hitting above a 330 over the last 21 days, but you do have a lot of guys that they just need to give you more. As you've got Manny Machado, Hassan Kim, both hitting about a 230, and then Jake Cronenworth, the entire catcher spot, Matt Carpenter, Trent Grisham, Rudnett Odor, these guys sitting at 210 or lower. It's been horrible. They do an okay job of moving the line, but we saw with the Padres last year, they were averaging about 1.2 points higher when they were on the road rather than when they were at home. So I did have to set a low total in this ordeal as a result at a 7.9, a 7.5 or less, looking at the over 8 or higher to the under end with the Padres. I'm willing to lay up to minus 125 on a run and half with them. I need at least a plus 235 to consider Daniel Lynch if he goes for the Royals, and if it's a bullpen game, it would probably be a relatively similar price to the plus 234 I said here. 975-976 on the main board. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road faceoff against the New York Mets. Kodai Senga goes for the Mets, and it is good old to be determined for the Tampa Bay Rays. So this is another game that's off the board, but I'm figuring that 
it is going to be Taj Bradley. And if we do get Mr. Bradley, I'd be setting the race as a minus 126 favorite, and I'd be setting a total of 8.7. And after less, look at the over 9 or higher to the under, and that just means I need at least a plus 127 to take a shot on the bets. Anything of a minus 125 or less, I'd be willing to lay it with the Tampa Bay Rays as Taj Bradley, whenever he's made starts, has been relatively solid. And even a bullpen game, I'd probably set the Rays as a very slight favorite. I would rather have Bradley over a bullpen game, but for the Rays, they entered into yesterday's seventh of the league in terms of bullpen area. So many guys are able to do their job as Colin Poucher, Jason Adam, heck, even when he's been out there, someone like a Zach Birdie have all been able to provide a sub-2 ERA. They are dealing with an injury to Garrett Clevenger now, and the Kellys have been a little bit less than trustworthy, but by and large, you've been able to get good production out of the entirety of the team, and for Taj Bradley in the three starts that he's made, He's been able to do a relatively solid job at 3.52 ERA. He's given up three runs or fewer in every one of them, given up just two walks in 15 and a third innings, a really good swing and miss stuff. That was apparent at the minor league bubble. And for Kodai Senga, he doesn't have the world's worst numbers, a 4.14 ERA, but in his seven starts, he has faced off against some of the biggest dregs in the league. The Miami Marlins twice, the Colorado Rockies at home, the Giants, the Washington Nationals, and the Cincinnati Reds, and he still has a 4.14 ERA. This means that I think that he is doing for some massive regression, giving up six home runs in 37 innings. His walks per nine rate is above five, and the New York Mets have had to really dive into this bullpen more than they were expecting us. Justin Verlander gave them a relatively garbage chart yesterday. They entered into yesterday, 15th of the league in terms of bullpen ERA. David Robertson has been able to do a relatively solid job for this bunch, but that said, other than he, Drew Smith, and I do think that Dominic Leone is going to be able to give you some good innings. It is a roll of the dice with them. Tommy Hunter, Jeff Brigham, these are guys that are not necessarily too tremendous. They're looking at Josh Walker for innings. Steven Agosich, he's been a relatively good long guy, but once again, you're utilizing him as like a two to three inning guy, and for the New York Mets, what's really plaguing this team is that outside Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor, you've got no power. Going into yesterday, they had to combine 19 home runs, Alonso 13 all by himself, and nobody else on the roster had more than three home runs. You've been able to have Brandon Nimmo move the line, hitting above a 300 with a 400 on base, and Daniel Vogelback also is providing about a 380 on base as well. But when you've got guys like Francisco Alvarez, Eduardo Escobar, Lindor, Tommy Pham, all these guys hitting a 225 or lower, that's just doomsday. And for the Rays, other than Brandon Lau and the fact that he's hitting below a 200, I mean, everything is working for this team on offense. They lead the big leagues at home runs by more than 10 home runs. As right now, you've got a trio of guys in Yandy Diaz, Randy Arozarena, and Josh Lowe that had between 9 or 10 home runs apiece going to yesterday. And all hitting above a 300 and all at at least a 360 on base. I mean, good grief. How do you have any sort of a shot whatsoever? You had Isak Paredes, Taylor Walls. These are guys that are providing north of the 353 on base. They're able to give you some power. You've got everything working for the Tampa Bay race right now. So if you do get Senga up against Todd Bradley, I'm setting the race at a minus 126. We'll be willing to lay up to a minus 125. And in this ordeal, in after less, would we'll be looking at an over nine or higher to the under. And like I said, with the race, if it is a bullpen game, still would set them as a slight favor with a total 977. 978 on the main board. The Atlanta Braves hit the road faceoff against the Texas Rangers. Eighth of all the goes for the Rangers and Spencer Strider is on the bump for Atlanta. Atlanta between a minus 144 to a minus 160 favorite. Anywhere between a plus 130 and plus 135. Your number on Texas. 7.5 is the total over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. And for the Rangers, it's willing to take a plus 137 or greater with them. Currently seeing a plus 136. I think when it's all said and done, we should be able to get to the window with the Texas Rangers as my bet. As I also did some 
my total at 7.8. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I do think that just due to the amount of contact that Nathan Avaldi gives up that he is doing for a little bit of negative regression. As for Nathan Avaldi, he is on a really good streak as he has pitched three shutouts pretty much as he went eight and two-thirds innings scoreless against the Oakland A's, eight scoreless against the LA Angels, and a complete game against the New York Yankees, all while providing three walks and getting 25 punch-outs. Yeah, there's going to be some negative regression here, but I mean, it's a very impressive run for Nathan Avaldi. At home, has provided a 426 ERA compared to a buck 83 on the road with Avaldi. He's up to right around nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings, and the walks have been very good. He's providing fewer than two walks per nine innings, which sometimes can doom Spencer Strider, as he's been giving up right around 2.8, 2.9 walks per nine innings. Now, Strider is a strikeout artist. He's getting north of 13 strikeouts per nine innings. He has been amazing with that regard, and on the road. Has allowed five earned runs and four starts, giving up just two home runs in total over the course of 46 and two-thirds innings. Opponents starting a buck 69 off of them. It is amazing. And for the Texas Rangers, they in the Tampa Bay Rays. Top two offenses out in the big leagues as the Rangers just have really good balance. It's not like they've got that one guy that's going out there and is having massive performances as right now the leader in home runs is Adelise Garcia. He and Josh Young have combined 18 home runs. They're both hitting about a 250 or so. But you've got Jonah Heim along with Marcus Simeon. Combining for 13 home runs. They both give you north of a 370 on base. Ezekiel Duran has been able to do a good job, even though he doesn't draw a lot of walks, of being able to reach bases. He's hitting about a 295. Robbie Grossman has been able to give you some relatively good at-bats recently as well. You just go down the line, and even without Corey Seager, this team has been impressive. You also have a pair of teams that are relatively similar in terms of their bullpen. The Atlanta Braves, 14th in the league in terms of bullpen area. Rangers are down to 22nd, though I do think that that's a little bit misleading as you got Jose LeClerc, Brock Burke, you're able to throw in there as well. Jonathan Hernandez providing a sub-4 ERA. Will Smith has been relatively okay in this bullpen. And for the Atlanta Braves, I do think that they're going to be able to ascend with that regard with bringing in Rossiel Iglesias. He was injured to begin the season, so that's going to be able to help them out. They did have to dive in their bullpen quite a bit the last few days. Have to mix and match. They've had to utilize some bullpen games. But with that said, Michael Tonkin has been a good long guy, being able to give you a 2-ish ERA. And Joey Menes has been relatively reliable as well. But when you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, the big forte of this team is power as they and the LA Dodgers are the top two teams in the National League in terms of home runs as right now you've got four separate guys that have went deep nine times already this season. That's the most in the big leagues. Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, Ronald Cunha Jr., and Ozzie Albies. And for Murphy and Ronald Cunha Jr., they both entered into yesterday with north of a 400 on base. Ozzie Albies hitting about 265, and Olsen is only hitting at 225, but more like a 367 on base. Austin Riley has had a little bit of a lackluster year, seven home runs, 330 on base. You want a little bit more out of him, but the Braves, they do a good job of hitting lefties. They do a good job of hitting righties. I like Spencer Strider, but I do think that he's starting to get a little bit overvalued. At a plus 137 or higher, going to be willing to take a shot on the Texas Rangers on the money line. I think both of these pitchers suffer a little bit of regression against really good lineups, so at a 7.5, also looking at the overhand. We're going to have things up. 979-980 on the betting board. The Houston Astros play host to the Chicago Cubs as you've got Drew Smiley on the bump for the Cubs and J.P. France. Goes for Houston. Houston is anywhere between a minus 155 to a minus 160 favorite. Seeing as low as a minus 146 out there as well. Anywhere between a plus 130 to a plus 140 is your price on the Cubs. 9 to 8.5 is your total. I'm seeing one straight 8 at Superbook as well. The over is minus 125. The under is plus 105. On the 9, under is between minus 120 to a minus 125. Over between even a plus 105. And on the 8.5, over is minus 120. The under is even. Set my total at an 8.1. So, 
I'd rather have an 8.9 slash 9 under rather than anything else. And with the Astros can only set them as a minus 133 favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the plus 135 to plus 140 that I'm seeing with the Chicago Cubs. Drew Smiley has been quite good this year. Now, if you look at the advanced numbers, he's probably going to be doing for a little bit of negative regression as his strikeout numbers aren't supreme. He's getting right around eight punch outs per nine innings, but he just went out there. He's done a good job of not putting guys on cheaply. He's allowing about two walks per nine innings, and I really like the way that he's been able to perform, not giving up the deep ball too much, a little bit less than home run per nine innings. J.P. France was a really high, relatively highly touted guy coming into the season, and he's given up just one run in his first two starts across 11 and two-thirds innings. That has been terrific. What I will say, though, is that he went up against a Mariners team that is currently one of the worst teams in terms of batting average in the league, and the Chicago White Sox, who are just currently drowning in misery, but with that said, he's also backed up by a bullpen that allows him to pitch a little bit more freely because the Astros were number one in terms of bullpen ERA a season ago. Thus far this season, the Astros, they're back in the top five. Seth Martinez along with Ryan Sanic have seen a little bit of regression along with Rafael Montero, but guys like Hector Neris, Phil Maton, Brian Ray supplying a sub three ERA, they've been able to do a solid job. Been a little bit of a roll of the dice with Ryan Presley, but I still trust in him as a reliever. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, they are now 19th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA as they're currently without Brad Boxberger. Michael Fulmer has not lived up to his billing. Edbert Alzelay, along with Brandon Hughes, have been relatively solid. And Michael Rucker has been able to give you about a 330 ADRA as well, but not necessarily the world's greatest bullpen. But what I do like about the Chicago Cubs, they find a way to get on base. As on the road, they've got the best banging average in the National League, hitting a 273 as a collective on the road going into yesterday. And we've noticed Christopher Morrell. Ever since he's gotten back at the fold, he's been aiming well above a 300. Really, among guys that have at least 50 at-bats thus far this season, the only guy that is sitting below, we're going to call it about a 250, is Patrick Wisdom. Hitting 242 going to yesterday. Eric Hosmer is in that fold now as well as Eric Hosmer has seen regression. But for Wisdom, 12 home runs out of him. You've also had Cody Bellinger do a solid job hitting about a 270. He's been able to supply seven home runs. Ian Happ, north of a 400 base. I do like this lineup top to bottom. And for the Houston Astros, that's been a little bit dusty for them. They're without Jose Altuve. They're without Michael Brandley. Mauricio Dubon has been able to do a good job hitting about a 300. And then Jordan Alvarez, he's really starting to pick it up. Nearly a 400 on base, nine home runs. Jeremy Pena, Kyle Tucker both give you six home runs. But I mean, the former Chicago White Sox in Jose Abreu, he has been terrible as he, along with really the entire catcher spot, let's call it what it is, Alex Bregman, and then the young gun and David Hensley hitting a 223 or lower. That has been very costly for this Houston Astros team, and I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time getting to Drew Smiley in the spot. I did semi-tell it at 8.1, so getting an 8.5 to a 9, looking at the under, I do think that Smiley and France do a relatively good job of playing even up, but I think that the Cubs, with their lineup, give you a little bit of an edge on this line. I'm willing to take the plus 135 or greater with the Cubs and go along with the under, and that wraps things up for with the Wednesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa family of podcasts. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one or two ways to be able to this in. First one is my Twitter timeline at tunein underscore D1. Keep in mind, Larry CM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. A big thanks to Justin Perry over at Chuck Wally Best for joining me in the last segment. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. And that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.